Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Beth Trejo, and we'll be talking about her pricing journey and how it led to more money and less headaches. You will not want to miss this show because Beth drops a great piece of advice just about every five minutes. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Beth. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Agency Show. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and I'm joined today by Beth Trejo. Beth is a speaker, a podcaster, a trailblazer, and the founder of Chatterkick. Chatterkick is a digital marketing partnership with global reach. Beth has been featured in USA Today, Yahoo, and Business Insiders for being on Comparably's list of top 50 CEOs for women two years in a row. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brooke. I'm excited to be here today. So excited to have you on the show and to share some of your wisdom with our listeners and watchers. Just a little side note, Beth and I met because we are both Sprout Social Partners. Yes. So that is how we got to meet. And she showed me some cool back-end stuff with her business, which we're going to talk about today a little bit. But the first question that I have for you is the same question I ask everybody. What made you make the leap and decide to start your own marketing agency, Chatterkick? 
Well, so that was uh, 11 years ago now. So it's been a while. Social media has changed a lot in the last 11 years. But uh, basically, I was working at a chamber of commerce, um, a regional chamber of commerce, and I was watching relationships getting formed in the boardroom over coffee, you know, just handshakes and high fives and really saw a big opportunity for those businesses to take that relationship and move it to the digital world and um, still remaining the human connection, which is really our passion is keeping that real life relationship going and just moving it over into the digital space. So that is why I started it. And it's been a wild 11 years. <laughs> wild indeed. I think we can all relate when somebody says it's been a roller coaster. So today we're going to be talking about pricing, right? Because this is a conversation that I mean, I've had numerous times with my own company. I've talked to other agency owners numerous times, including Beth, about their pricing structure. You can see on Twitter and LinkedIn, people are like, how do you price? What's the, what's the best way to do it? So share with us a little bit the journey that you took to determine the most suitable pricing structure for you, because I realize that what works for you may not work for everyone, but you, you kind of had an interesting journey in how you got there. When I first started Chatterkick, and I, I still think pricing is, it's never done. And I think I finally have come to that realization that this is not just a project that you start and stop. It's something that has to evolve with the market, with business needs, with your team dynamic, and just the world, right? And so when I first started, I remember really getting stuck on it. And, you know, you kind of like scramble in the beginning. How am I going to price this? What is going to happen? Should I go low? Should I go high? And I was Googling everybody else's prices just to try to get a baseline. And again, this is 11 years ago. So social media has changed so much in those 11 years. And really what I ended up doing is I, I had to stop myself and say, okay, what is the best use case for the problem that I'm trying to solve? Which at that moment and still today is businesses didn't have time or the expertise to really do social media on their own. And so one of the biggest barriers to that is consistency, right? And so I knew in order to solve that consistency issue, I had to do an ongoing basis because the start and stop mentality of social media is still a problem today. Yes. And so, you know, you kind of start crossing off the checklist of like, what do I know I need to have? And then solve for the problems that are still in, in that gap. So I knew I need to have have ongoing pricing that would allow for consistent work for my team as well as consistent outcomes for the clients. So we were always on kind of that monthly service slash retainer model. We probably called it a retainer when it was actually a fixed bid pricing. And now mm -hmm. I've learned a lot more about pricing strategies. I can fully speak to those. But in the beginning, I was like, well, it has to be ongoing. And that's what we started with. And we've really continued with that model. I think looking back at some of the agencies that started alongside me that, you know, were local agencies or <laughs> other agencies, everything was project-based. Hard to do that because you are constantly selling at that point. There's no residual movement. And especially again with social, it's just, you kind of have to have that yesterday's impact in order to fuel tomorrow's growth and momentum. And, you know, it doesn't just go away when someone stops driving the car. So we always really were on that monthly services agreement. And that that's really served us well, both as an organization, I think our clients do, so they, they didn't have those large gaps 
in the algorithms as well as just content. That's I, I'm just like over here nodding my head because I'm like, yes, yes, because I've been through it, right? I'm sure the people who are listening are nodding their head. And if they're watching, they're probably nodding along with us. So walk me through the beginning. How did you navigate the challenges that you faced when you first started establishing that pricing model of a retainer, right? Because what did that retainer include? How did the client see value in that retainer? So walk us through that a little bit. Just a little context. So I had two experiences that looking back now, I think really aided in the way that I was able to figure this out. So I was selling chamber memberships were very, very untangible things, right? And people didn't understand the chamber of commerce. It was, it was a hard kind of education process that I had to walk people through. And the price points were starting at about $250 a month all the way up. So I had expertise in selling at that price point in a professional services kind of expertise. Prior to that, I was actually a nonprofit and I had done fundraising and called business owners. And so I had a little bit of that price gut reaction talking to Mm -hmm. owners, like what was easy what was like a thousand dollars, you know, now you have to talk to someone else. And then what was the the bigger ones where you could have higher dollar values, but it was a different selling process. And so those two kind of experiences really fueled, I think, where we landed on our first set of pricing. I always, it's still in my brain, work in threes. So small, medium, large, you know, good, better, better, uh-huh. you want to do that. I, I look back at our, some of our like marketing docs when we started, they were horrendous, but the concept was the same. There was always three options. I gave people, you know, the opportunity to see what they're missing when they went at the high price point and the low price point and kind of make their choice based on what they thought was best. And I would help guide them through that process. But in the beginning, how I figured it out was I, I did a lot of research, mostly at what other agencies were offering. And then what I knew I could actually not only communicate, but execute on, right? Like I didn't maybe know what or have the tools or have the experience to do X, Y, and Z. So I kind of picked the, the best pieces that I knew that I could do really well. And that's how I started putting those packages together. I love that. Tell me a little bit. I want to I just ask a follow-up question there. Explain the good, better, best, right? Because I know what you're talking about. But maybe for somebody who's just starting out, right? They're they're just now working on their agency. I was just talking to someone today, actually, who launched their agency this year. Explain that concept of good, better, best in the packaging. Yeah. So the good package that you want to put forward is really something that would not embarrass you. Like you don't want to just put something that wouldn't work. So take the bare bone. What would you be comfortable selling something at? What would still work for you as an agency, but the client and customer would also get value out of, right? And so start at that as your baseline because you don't want to cheapen things so much that then you just can't actually execute on their behalf. You don't have the resources or the software. So I would say never start out with something you'd be embarrassed to sell. So keep that as your good. Your better needs to be an incremental. Typically, I always recommend, you know, you want to maybe go up a couple thousand dollars. You start going up five, ten thousand dollars on those increments. And again, you have different people in the buying process. You have different approvals. You have different types of clients. So just a couple thousand dollars or, you know, 10 to 20 percent could also work depending on your pricing. But you want to give that middle 
spot, which is where most people are probably going to land. I mean, it's psychology and pricing. Again, I did a lot of this research and it's, it's very obvious. We all know that we want the middle one, right? Yeah. <laughs> best, value. <laughs> best value. And for that, what you want to do is you want to add a couple of things into the package that are like, I got to have. Like, for example, um, for us, that may, may have included or may include additional reporting or you know, competitor data and research, or it's that, that thing that maybe a high value item, it doesn't necessarily always have to be like a lot of time spent or even on your side of things doesn't have to be high profit, but it's that sticky factor that when you're talking to someone in the sales process, it's like, I want that. Right. So competitor research is a really great example of that. We see that a lot. Like people want to know what their competitors are doing. And we really that like social media can give people a huge competitive advantage for, you know, marketing sales, just data intelligence. And so that's kind of what we would put in that middle package is what's sticky. And then the high package, again, there's two strategies to this. You can either go exponentially higher. So like what's called an anchor price, right? You go way higher just to show people what they're missing in the other two. Or if it's something that you really think you can sell on repeat, then you just kind of increase whether that's volumes, number of platforms, uh, maybe that's additional you know, people involved or resources that are out there. But that higher package, you really want people to see this is kind of our ac accelerated capabilities and what we could really do for you if we had the resources to do it. I just adore that advice. I was talking to my friend Donna the other day. She's a fractional CMO. And she was telling me, I forget the name she used for it. But it was like, just what you said, like it was the top, like crazy, you know, didn't think people was going to, we're going to choose this one package. You know, it was like, I don't know, like $12,000 a month or something. And it was like everything under the sun that people would want. And she thought like, nobody's ever going to choose this because it's just bigger so that people go for the best, like that middle one, right? She said she actually closed two clients on that, you know, end all be all package. And I was like, maybe you need to write raise your prices. Right. And that actually is a pricing strategy that I did in the beginning, but I had no clue that I was doing that is if I got maybe like reduced capacity or, you know, it was just me and a very small team in the beginning, I would fluctuate my prices. So whatever I would take next, next, it have to be worth it. Right. Like I would know that there's a, a cap there, but if they wanted my time, my my, you know, resources at that point, I would just push up the pricing and I would push it up until I heard no a lot. And that's really where you can have like very unscientific idea of a market cap is like, what is the willingness to pay for those services? And if you hear no, a lot of times from an ideal customer, you might need to adjust your pricing or your value that you're providing within that pricing line item. And so I didn't know that was even a strategy, but I read a pricing book long after that. And I was like, hey, I used to do that all the time. <laughs> you were smart before your time. No, but I love that advice of of raising the pricing based on bandwidth and availability. What a great idea. You just gave me an idea. I mean, I, I had never thought of that. I'd never heard of that. So thank you. That's That's major. The other places to draw inspiration from pricing are those people and companies that really nail it, not in the marketing industry. Think of other industries. Like I had some of my best pricing aha moments when I went to Disney and they have it so smooth and figured out. They know how the psychology works. And so just the concept of a fast pass, 
like prioritization of speed. Some people want speed and that is a very important thing for them. They'd be willing to pay more for speed. And so what could you offer in your service line that you could make more? They're getting what they want. I mean, you really have to look at pricing as a win-win. Otherwise it just falls flat and then you're stuck and the client's stuck and your engagements probably will turn a lot faster. It's so funny that you say that because I was listening to a podcast, a business podcast, uh, it was like a couple of weeks ago, and they mentioned priority pricing. And it was all about speed, right? If you pay an extra whatever it was a month, you get priority support. And what they were saying was there is no such thing as priority support. What happens is the people who are paying, who come in with a problem, their ticket goes to the top of the queue because they're paying right? It's not like they had to staff it or it wasn't this complicated thing that we all think it might be. But it's like, hey, if you want priority support, which who doesn't, and you pay an extra $1.99 a month or whatever that price is, just imagine how much goes to the bottom line without really a lot of that needing to go to, you know, overhead or staffing or whatever it may be, because all you're doing is just fixing the, the queue, fixing the line of you know, the operations of how things are going to be answered. So that's another really great piece of advice. So tell me this, how does your current pricing structure or how has it influenced the way clients perceive you and Chatterkick? Yeah, so I think one thing that was really valuable in the beginning and even today is making sure that your pricing aligns with your capabilities and your expertise, right? In the beginning, it was just me and I was learning. I knew social, I knew the tools and the tactics, but I didn't have a long runway of like brand building and expertise and reviews. And I didn't have this foundation behind me. And and I had the opportunity to price cut uh, people, right? Like I could get into new markets or new businesses because I was substantially less expensive than them. a strategy that I used to grow my business. As we evolved, we got more people into the mix. We built a different engine in order to fuel our customers. And because of that, the prices adjusted and changed. And we definitely increased substantially from the beginning because our model was different. And so that was really that change. And we, about two years ago, had to do a big shift. We had some legacy clients that had really just kind of been with us from the beginning. You know, we were, the way we staff, we use a pod model. So we have a four-person team that surrounds each of our clients. And so we have, you know, people that are fueling that. And that is our largest cost as an agency. And we want to treat them well. And so, you know, we had to make some shifts to say, hey, this is our model now. We really feel like it can add value to you because now you have a team of four experts that you can directly go to with how social media is evolving today. Our old model doesn't work anymore. And so our price point doesn't work anymore. Oh my gosh. Okay. Another great little segue here that you just brought up. I mean, we're facing you know tough economic times. And for marketers, whew, our tool costs have gone through the roof. <laughs> Our people costs have gone through the roof. Yeah, we have legacy clients who we we want to keep, who we love working with, who have been with us for a long time. But at what point do you say, like, I can't lose my shirt to keep servicing you? Like, so did you did you apply that to all of your legacy clients like around around the way? Or did you kind of do it case by case? We did case by case. It was interesting because it was also one of, of, it was a very difficult thing for me to do. I had worked with these clients for eight years. I 
reward them or their business. I wanted to set them up for success. They didn't have the willingness to pay where we needed them to be at. And so it was some tough conversations, no doubt. But we also had some clients that we changed the way that we were doing their scope and their work. And so it realigned really seamlessly of, you know, and we, we had some just honest, like, Hey, you know, your price may increase, but it wasn't substantially as some others were. So we just had to kind of take it on a case by case basis, cheerlead them on, graduate them out. Like it was really a graduation for us of like, you need something different. We're growing and we need something different. We both want this to be, you know, the best for each party. And we will be there cheering you on online, even when we're not working behind the scenes. That's a spectacular piece of advice, right? Making it a graduation, um, making it a celebration. Like, hey, you don't need us anymore. You need this and we love you and we'll support you, but we can't, you know, we're not the person or the team to help you anymore. That's amazing advice. I refer some of these accounts to that were like me when I started, right? Like I have partners and now we have relationships to say, you don't need a four-person team. You just need a one-person show that can do these things. Um, your business doesn't have the complications and the intricacies that other businesses may have. And that's who we serve best right now. And so building those partnerships, whether you are at the receiving end or the giving end of those have been, I mean, they're super all just as an agency. So let's dig in just a tiny bit more there. You know, the past couple of years, right? Everything's more expensive. People are more expensive. You, you have to have these tough conversations. How do you align your value proposition, the value proposition of Chatterkick and the services you provide? Because that's, that's the number one thing I think we hear as marketers, right? Like, where's the value? Show me the value. Yeah. How do you do that? So, I mean, that really needs to be, as, as a leader in this organization right now, like that's my full-time job is to find where our market position is and to listen not only to what our customers and um, prospects are saying, but to listen between the lines right? To watch them when we have video calls, to understand the questions that they're asking, how, what is easy to buy? And then what is really difficult? What are they getting tripped up on time and time again? And so really like weaving that together to say, okay, we need to shift a little bit. We need to reposition. We don't need to completely reimagine our services, but how we speak about them, we may need to just shift a little bit. I mean, it's constantly getting curious. And we've done this a couple of different ways from a tactical perspective. So we've had an outside expert come and interview our clients. That's amazing because they give you completely different answers than what you ever could do yourself or your, your team members could do. So that was really, really enlightening. We did that last year. And then we also, we do NPS scores on a regular basis just to get some good ideas and feedback. And then just observing the sales cycle as well as what are people constantly getting stuck on? Like they want to remove from their scopes. And when I hear that, I always think, okay, they're not seeing the value, right? If you're removing, there's no value there. And is it the same type of companies constantly removing a piece of this puzzle or they're just not getting the results that they thought they should be getting? And so that has been something that's really helped us. And you have to be willing to address the hard stuff when you we're really good at something and they're like, eh, that's not actually what we think you're great. Dang it. So there's a lot of just being open to that feedback and really trying to make changes on the, that behalf. Uh, also good. So 
I'm listening, right? I'm, I'm just, you know, someone, I'm another marketing agency listening to the show or watching the show. What would you tell me are some of those key factors or metrics that help you not only choose the pricing structure that you're in, but also maybe help you pivot when it's time to pivot? Yeah. So I think especially in marketing, people need to understand how difficult it is to buy their services, right? So there's multiple types of ways you can price marketing professional services. You have time and material, hourly rate, you have a fixed bid. Maybe that's like what we do. We bundle our scopes together. And then you have a retainer model where it's kind of like, you know, a typical on-call. Then you have value-based pricing. So there's, you know, a mix of different pricing models out there. We use a combination of them. I wish somebody would have told me that, that you didn't have to just pick one and only use one. But we, we do use a combination of those pricing models. And how we connected the value to those is we literally went, this is a project that was within pricing that drove me crazy because it was so hard to, to figure out and to, you know, dissect, but going one by one line item, are we good at this? Do we need this? What business value is this offering? And we better be able to speak to this across the organization. Because if someone comes to me and says, why sh- should I care about engagement on social media, we need to be able to organizationally answer that question on a business angle, like the business side of it has to be there. So that was really how we started understanding what the value is for each of these things and the risk. What I try to help clients understand in the sales process is you don't have to pick all of these, but I want you to understand the risk right? Moderation is a perfect example of that. Respond, we respond to clients' messages and comments and all of that. And businesses don't even know where to look for that. So <laughs> any idea about like the volume, how much time it takes, why you can't just copy and paste it, it's a really hard education process. And they have no context for how much something like that should cost. They've bought it before. And so we don't show transparently that specific line item, but we do see people try to take that out. They're like, oh, we'll get it. It's one mess a month, you know? And what I try to tell them is, okay, I want you to understand the risk, right? So if somebody comments on these ads that we're running on your behalf and we're not there responding, now I'm pushing ads out with negative comments out. So now your money is actually happening reverse impact, you know, and you have risk there, not my job to tell you your tolerance of that risk, but I think it's important that they understand, okay, it's a lot more than what we're probably going to charge if you get a bad PR issue and now it's fueled with all this ad spend. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, I love that, that idea of saying, (laughs) I'm having a follow-up question pop into my brain as I'm talking, but I love the idea of like having that value add statement or proposition ready. How do you disseminate that to your team? Is it like a document that everybody gets a hold of? Or how do you make sure everybody's saying the same thing and on the same page? So that is something that we really have been working on within the last couple of years. And basically what we do is almost like a business canvas landscape for every new client that comes in. So we do a competitive landscape for them. Like, and we don't show this to them unless, you know, that's part of their scope, but we're using this internally to say, how are they positioned competitively in the market? What do we need to market against? 
who is all a part of their organization? How do they function? What do they prioritize? What are their core values? And so we kind of have this mix of, they're technically like documents that um, have research on them that we can use so that everybody understands this is how this business works. This is how it makes money. These are the opportunities that they may have. And then this is what's really competitive about this space that we're either going to need to go around on a marketing angle or we're going to have to address head on. And so I think that that has helped just the conversations change within the organization. And so everybody can be a salesperson at that point because they have the information that they need to help that business grow. And who doesn't want everyone on their team to be a salesperson? Man, wouldn't that be helpful? (laughs) And we don't expect them to sell. Like, I don't think that that is necessarily the feeling that we want for a client. But what we do want our team to be recognizing, because this is really important for customers, is like they need to, to query up those ideas and initiatives so that if we see something that we're like, oh, my gosh, you're launching, you know, a whole new division you're going to need employees. Did you know we can help with employee recruitment? We do that all the time. And it's probably cheaper than what they had, well, you know, on this other option. And so all of a sudden that just becomes a natural part of the conversation, which is really the best way to handle sales, right? It's no one wants to feel like they're being sold to. So, okay. Obviously, if you've been listening this far or watching, you're realizing just how important pricing is for marketing agency owners. I mean, for every business owner probably, but How does your pricing structure come into play with your overall business strategy and or revenue projections? Yeah, so it definitely plays a big part. Like I mentioned, we never want to call it done because we need to be constantly evolving. That being said, what I did wrong in the past, what I would change them too fast And it became chaotic and nobody could price anything because everything was a different price. Everything was a new price. And so we really have tried to structure that a little bit. We have quarterly pricing review meetings. So we look at our different mix of services and say, is this fitting where we need it to be today? Is this really offering the value that we intended it to offer? And we try to kind of mix and match those just to make sure we're in a good spot. Typically, they don't have a huge amount of influx or swings, but there are new things that maybe we're doing that people are like, well, this this could be something like let's let's put this together and maybe offer it as a new service or let's break this off from the current model. So that definitely is something that we have used. We use to this day is those quarterly pricing review meetings. In those meetings, we have an owner of the pricing structure. We have a finance person that can pull that and then operations so that they can test to make sure that the price is accurate to the resources that we need to deliver that service specifically. So that is happening kind of on an operation side. And then from a business side and a projection side, we are tracking kind of deal flow and that form of kind of price tracking, I guess. I I still feel like forecasting and professional services is just tricky. I mean, you can try all you want and and there are ways that we, you know, try to do projections, but in general, it's hard. It is. It's very hard, but needed, you know, and I, I think you brought up a great point about how pricing isn't just sometimes leadership. You know, we brought on my husband actually as our CSO, chief service officer, two years ago. And the chief service officer kind of does what you were just talking about. They handle ops, they handle the people and the 
the tools that are used to deliver services, but then they also tie that operational, the team and the tools, all, all how we deliver services back to revenue. So I think it's so important to understand that when you are figuring out pricing, if you can include somebody who has that numbers mind or who has a grasp of what's happening with operations and someone who has an idea of team members, right? Because every team member is different too. Someone may take 10 hours to complete one task while another person takes two. And they both may be great people in how they do things, right? But that's going to make a stark difference in your spend and your finances. And one thing that I've noticed too is I think it's important to, when you're doing time and materials or you're trying to get an idea of your direct costs as an agency, taking into account both the feels and the data. Sometimes I think agencies go one way or the other. Like, well, this only takes this amount of time. Well, it's it's a mental lift. It's a little bit exhausting. You know, there there is so much more to work than just the data. And then on the other side of that, sometimes people are only you, using the fields and they're not doing any time trials or tracking and they're completely over or under inflating the actual work itself. So I think that the combination and the blend of both of those is really a great starting point for your pricing because burnout is a thing putting people in spots that just don't work for them and it's too much mental stress, like that is also, a, you know, an important cost that you, you want to make sure that you're mitigating. You don't want your people to be in those spots either. And again, lesson learned the hard way. Um, <laughs> did that, Did should not do that again. And so I do think that the, those two sides of understanding your costs are really, really important. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. So, okay, we're meeting quarterly to talk about pricing structure. The team knows what's going on. How do you communicate pricing structure changes to your clients, right? Like, is it an email? Is it a phone call from their account manager or account rep? Is it you? Is it direct to Beth? Like, how do you manage that part of pricing? So we typically just evolve the scope. So we don't do a lot of just flat rate price increases. That has been a challenge for us because it feels icky from a client perspective. So we like to, when we do offer options or solutions based on, you know, the needs of the client, we like to give two options, one that is included within their scope and then one that is additional. So they always feel like we're offering solutions that don't just always cost them more. And then the other thing that I think is really important is just to make sure that there's some form of comparison. So from a competitive landscape, again, I learned this throughout the years, there's really the four different types of competitors, right? You have your direct competitors who you are directly competing against, maybe an agency very similar to you, your indirect competitors, maybe an agency that's a little bit different, but they're offering similar services. And then the two competitor sets that really matter in our world are the replacement competitor because those are like the in-house teams, right? They can replace mm -hmm. us with an in-house team and then the alternate right? That's the do nothing strategy in many regards. Like what is the, the risk if they do nothing? And so really understanding the different buyer types and the different competitive landscapes, I think helps us figure out where does our total pricing need to be landing? And I'll give you a quick example. So for us, if that in-house team 
people think social media is easy. You know this, Brooke. Like, mm-hmm. We'll have one person do all these 25 things. Uh-huh. That is kind of the mindset that we have to compete against. If we took a comparable salary of an in-house team and we kind of aligned our pricing to this, it's going to be a lot easier to sell because they have a similar budget, right? And so that's kind of the comparable that you want to start thinking about when you're actually trying to figure out the number if you can't calculate the actual like cost of with it or cost of with it out it because without it because I think that's where people really get stuck is like well what is the dollar amount like tell me Beth how much yeah. charge for this <laughs> well, what's people's willingness to pay how critical is the item that they're trying to solve and what what are other people selling this for not only just other agencies but what are the replacement or the do nothings like what do they have to lose. I think it's fantastic that you mentioned in-house, right? Because I know for us, and this is probably true for a lot of marketing agencies, your biggest competitor a lot of times, it's, it's not, <laughs> Beth and I aren't competing. It's the in-house team. It's the team in-house at that brand or at that organization who is going to take that business away from us. So I love being able to, you know, I, as you gave in your example, kind of compare we have four people in a pod that will cost you less than your one full-time employee. And what a great selling point that is. Right. And do you see how that comparison makes it really digestible for a person to buy? They, they know what the costs associated are of a, of a salary. And that's like an easy yeah. comparable. And then when you compare that to a service that is very difficult to buy and all over the place, which is marketing, it just kind of gives them that context of like, okay, I can even if she's not telling me her price, I know exact kind of where it's going to fall. Yeah, that's so great. Okay, so that's a huge win. What are some other successes that you can tell us about that happened because of the way you price things or because of your pricing strategy? So I think a lot of agencies have a huge opportunity to, to capture value that they're already doing. That was something that was a big aha moment for us because it was not more work. Right. I it's really important to me to prioritize my team and like the way that they work. And I don't want to cause disruption. I don't want to cause burnout. And so what can I sell today? That's a high value item that we are already doing. We're just not bragging it up. We're not putting it in the service line and saying this is something that's really critical and could be a huge value. An example of that is again, I'll use social media kind of moderation. But all the incoming messages that we get from a brand, right? There is a a lot of them at times and we do a lot of recruitment. And so being able to organize and sort and capture that data to say, the people that want to work with you are asking you these questions. These are the individuals and you can address it at your organization as you see fit. But they would not have the ability to, correlate and even just like gather that data easily without our help because we know the tools and we know the the platforms and we know how to sort and filter. So just little things like that we were doing and like, hey, maybe more clients would actually like this same thing and they would be willing to pay for it. That was something that really I think is a good starting point is as a owner, a CEO or a marketer, go get curious around your team, shadow one of your team members and just have that mindset of like, what are we doing? That's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. This is amazing. And maybe somebody would find it amazing too. 
Another great piece of advice. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got my wheels spinning. I'm like, what are we doing? Probably a lot. Probably it has to do with, with reporting, right? Analytics. A lot. All of those things. Yeah. One thing that for us was always a huge lift was onboarding and research. Like we, yes. I was telling you those business canvases, we did so much of that and the clients valued it, but we weren't really charging for it. And so we started saying like, this is a big value. I think clients understand that it takes a lot of lift to get all of this information, especially if they want us to be an extension of their team. And so, you know, that was something that we could do without a lot of disruption. It's part of our system and we could charge for it. Another good piece of advice. Gosh, you're just like throwing them out today. Sawdust strategy. Like where is the sawdust in your organization that you... Yes. And manufacturing companies have been doing this for years and so many other businesses. Like learn from other types of businesses just as much as other agencies. Yes. Yes. Well, hopefully you're learning from other agencies listening to the marketing agency show. But okay, let's say I'm a listener or a watcher and I'm really struggling. Like I really can't find that sweet spot for pricing. What one major piece of advice that you haven't already given, which is going to be hard because you've given a lot, would you give me? Oh, that's really tricky. I think just understanding the business implications of this stuff. Because if you can solve a business problem, you can solve it, like you can price to it, right? That is, Mm -hmm. and if you are spinning your wheels on like, why does this matter? This isn't doing anything. Like then I think it's a, that's a whole different conversation. But if you're solving an urgent problem that people have like that irk to solve, that is when everything else becomes a lot more clear. I think it's, it is one of those things, especially if you've been doing it for a while, I've had to reinvent this in my brain so many times. Like, what are we doing? Like social media is so ugly at times. We have so many trolls. It's just, it's, it's kind of a toxic place at times. And so I had to really, and still do every day, look like what's working, what's adding value? How are we adding direct revenue or saving costs or adding a better experience? Like all of those things like need to be pegged on a regular basis for your services so that you can price accordingly and capture that value within your agency. Yeah, I think you're so right there because if you don't understand the problem that you solve, how can you prove the value? And the value is how you get to the dollars. So another excellent piece of advice. Gosh, I appreciate everything that you've told us so far in our conversation. I feel like we're going to have to have you back because we're we're coming up on the last question here, but all really very relevant advice. And I have to say, this is like a pricing conversation that I would not call boring. You know, sometimes you think about like pricing conversations as being boring. This was not boring. This was juicy. <laughs> you know, pricing is really kind of the end. Because you really have to start from the top, start from the goal. What are you trying to solve? What is your mission? What's your unique value? All of those things. And then the pricing is at the bottom of that. That's how you get there. And I think that that's where people get it wrong. They start with the price and then try to work their way back up. And I see this all the time in social media because a lot of marketing agencies didn't start with social media as their core service. So they try to add it on they discount it way too much. They put a lot on a one person's plate. And then it's just kind of this redheaded stepchild in their agency that they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get some, we'll do some social media for them too. Like throw it on Facebook. We, that's not really our specialty. But I think 
that's probably why they aren't able to charge the value for that because that is the value that the client is getting on it, you know, just a post here and there and not a lot of strategic insights to it. So I do think that if you start with the other side of it, like what you're trying to achieve, it it all starts to make sense a little bit more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been more than fantastic. And I know people are going to want to connect with you so they can learn more from you. So tell everybody, what are you working on now? Where can people find you? All those things. Yeah. So one of the projects that we're working on now, and this probably is very relevant to other agencies, is really using you know a lot of the large language models and AI to enhance our current experience. Human-centered digital media is really what we started with and what we really hold true today and really connecting those individuals in this digital world. And so we are really trying to leverage these tools to make a better experience for our customers, whether that's in speed, whether that's in creative output. There's a lot of cool ways that I feel like agencies can leverage these tools on an individual user level. That is what we are working on right now. And I'm excited to jump in and try you know, that, that piece of the puzzle. And people can find me at Chatterkick. It's spelled exactly how it sounds, Chatterkick, not click. And I am on Instagram and LinkedIn. You can just Beth Trejo, T-R-E-J-O. I'm on all the platforms. I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, it's all linked on our website, chatterkick.com. Whew, I feel like I need to like wipe this sweat off my brow because you're going fast and furious there with the tips. But thank you so much for joining us. I just think... Yeah, I, I can't wait to learn from you some more. Maybe we'll have to have you back. Would love that. And for anybody that is looking for, you know, just some prompts or advice specifically on that agency kind of CEO owner mentality, we are going to do some freebies of just chat GPT prompts for those CEOs, ones that we have found helpful. So we'll be giving those away and those will be on our website, uh, chatterkick.com freebies and chat GPT prompts for CEOs. Yes. Well, I will be jumping over to the website to find out when those come out because I'm going to use those. Well, Beth, again, thank you so much and everybody for listening and watching and hanging in there with all these amazing tips from Beth. Thank you too. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to give us a follow. If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast, the Web3 Business Podcast, and the Social Media Marketing Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.